This morning, uh, I'm going to share with you out of the book of Genesis. And in doing so, we're going to look at chapter 40, which in many ways serves as an interruption in the story of the life of Joseph, whom many of you will be familiar with today. Joseph finds himself rotting away in an Egyptian prison cell, wondering if God would ever so see it fit to cause him to be delivered from that pit. And while he is serving time on a false charge, the Lord interrupts Joseph's prison sentence with the visit of two high-level Egyptian officials who also find themselves on the other side of the Pharaoh's wrath. And what begins is a conversation that I believe demonstrates characteristics about the kingdom of God and leaves us with principles from scripture that if we were to apply them to our lives, could cause us to continue to take those following steps in our Christological development, leaving this place looking a little more like what Jesus has called us to be and a little less like what Jesus has saved us from. And so in Genesis 40, our story begins today. Starting in verse one, the Bible says this. Now watch, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. Pharaoh was very angry with his two officials and so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And it just so happened that they wound up in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Let me set the scene for you this morning. Joseph finds himself living in Egypt due to some rather unfortunate family dynamics that include being fake murdered by his brothers, sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, and later falsely accused of rape, which lands him in an Egyptian prison. I often apologize that the parking is difficult here at Pursuit, but compared to Joseph's troubles, I'd venture to say you are doing quite all right. (laughs) See, Joseph is innocent, but knowing you are innocent, and proving you are innocent are two entirely different things. There is no court-appointed attorney for Joseph. There is no burden of proof requirement for Joseph. There is no jury of his peers or the legal principle of habeas corpus afforded on his behalf. There is just a Hebrew boy named Joseph serving time for a crime he did not commit in a country he does not belong because of a woman he refused to compromise with. Yeah, I was teaching on the life of Joseph for a college group retreat many years ago. When I got to the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, one of the young men from the crowd yelled out from the back row, oh, Potiphar's wife, sounds like a cougar. I love cougars. I stopped my sermon. I said, number one, you nasty. I said, number two, you ever met a cougar? They'll kill you and then feast on your carcass. 
Number three, what attracted, what you were attracted to when you were sick will repulse you when you're healthy. Number four, if you think abstinence is hard, try breaking a soul tie. Number five, being in prison is one thing. Being in bondage is another. Number six, Joseph may have looked like a kidnapped slave in Egypt. But on the inside, he knew, I am a Hebrew and I serve the living God. And friend, you ought to never let the view on the outside, no matter how bad it is, change who you are on the inside, for you are a son or a daughter of the Most High, and that is always who you will be. See, Joseph just wants to go home, but home ain't much better. His brothers are insane. His parents are a mess and his homeland is suffering drought. I I can almost hear Joseph's interior dialogue in this moment. I wish I never had those dreams. I wish I never put on that coat. Why couldn't I just have a normal life like everyone else? Hear me, friend. The calling of God will make you feel crazy. And there'll be times where you think it'd be so much easier just to be normal. But you weren't created for normal. You weren't created just to work a nine to five for 40 years and then retire and play golf until you die. You were created to shift the course of nations through the dreams that God has planted in your heart. (laughs) And yet watch what the scriptures say. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt wind up in the same exact prison where Joseph is being kept. See, Jewish commentators believe that Joseph was rotting away in an Egyptian prison cell for 12 years, wondering if he would ever see the sunlight again. Wondering if mom and dad were still alive. Wondering if anyone missed him. Wondering if this is how his story would end. Watch. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He works for Potiphar for one year until he is falsely accused. And then from the age of 18 until 30, Joseph sits in an Egyptian prison. See, that phrase, sometime later... That sounds like what you say when you're running late to church because the drive-through was slow at Starbucks. For Joseph, sometime later was his entire young adult years. Yet while Joseph was waiting, God was working. And contrary to what the culture says, waiting time is not wasted time. Joseph must have felt like his entire life was passing away right in front of him, but God couldn't deliver him until he was done developing him because even though an Egyptian prison must have been rough, an undeveloped life would have been 10 times worse. Now, I don't know about you, But the more I follow God, the more I've got to trust that he knows where he's going. Because the route he seems to take most of the time makes very little sense to me. 
And with that, let me tell you a story on, on September 9th, 1914. A man by the name of Private Thomas Hughes, a soldier in the Light Infantry Regiment of the British Army, found himself crossing the English Channel by ship as he headed towards France to fight on the front lines of World War I. At the young age of 26 years old, Private Hughes would leave his wife and his then two-year-old daughter, Emily, behind to join the fight to free Western Europe. As he and his fellow soldiers made their way across the English Channel, headed towards France to fight the Germans, Private Hughes thought it would be appropriate to author a note to his wife and daughter expressing his great love just in case he never made it home. Without a postal service to deliver his letter, Private Hughes sealed the note in an empty green glass bottle and threw it overboard into the sea thinking to himself, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. This letter in a bottle will find its way home eventually. Ever so tragically, just two days later, Private Hughes would become a casualty of war. And in total, World War I would claim the lives of 10 million combatants before finally coming to an end in 1918. Emily would grow up with no memory of her dad, only ever seeing old photographs of what he looked like, always wondering about the father she never remembered meeting. 85 years would go by, 85 years would go by. Emily would get married, she would have kids, she would have grandkids and eventually she would relocate to New Zealand and find herself living out her final years in a retirement home, never anticipating that she would ever get answers to life's unanswered questions from so many years ago. And then one day, Emily received a call that would change everything. A call she never expected to get. Is this Emily Hughes? Rang out the voice on the other side of the phone. This is Steve Gowan. I know you don't know me and I know that you have never heard of me before, but I've been trying to track you down for quite a while. And boy, do I have a strange story to tell you. I'm a fisherman in the North Sea. Last month, I was out on the boat trawling for cod. And when I went to bring in my nets, I noticed something interesting amongst the catch of fish. And I think it was meant for you. It's an old green glass bottle with a letter inside from a man named Private Thomas Hughes. Does this mean anything to you? I, I believe he was your father and he would have wanted you to have this. Steve would travel to New Zealand. 
he would hand deliver that green glass bottle. And in a moment captured by the local newspaper, he would present to Emily the long lost letter from her father so many years ago. Emily would eventually pass away at the age of 101 in 2014. But she would never forget the day she received a message from her father 85 years in the making. See, I think in many ways that the plan and the destiny that God has for our lives is a lot like that message in a bottle. It's thrown into the sea. It is carried by the wind and the currents. We often wonder if it will ever reach its destination. It takes an unexpected route and almost always takes longer than we thought it would. But if we will stay faithful to God and trust his sovereign plan, our lives will be like letters put in a bottle and delivered to a generation we will not see. And yet in Genesis 40, God sends an unusual exit strategy because a cupbearer and a baker find themselves locked up in the same prison as Joseph. Hear me, what seemed like chaos in Egypt was actually strategy from heaven because God was taking the two closest people to Pharaoh and bringing them into proximity with a Hebrew who could interpret their dreams. If I may, let me submit something to you today. What if Joseph had to get falsely accused in order for God to strategically align his steps to cross paths with a cupbearer and a baker? What if you had to get fired from that job? What if you had to get broken up with? What if you had to get passed over from that promotion, turned down from that school, rejected by that family member because God was strategically setting you up for a destiny shifting moment? See, I hear this all the time. Pastor, I was gonna move. I was in line for that job transfer. I was getting ready, to tra getting ready to transition out of this region. And all of a sudden that deal fell through. My boss went nuts. My car went down. The market crashed. COVID hit. And I found myself stuck in the Northwest and I had no idea why. And then I found pursuit and it all made sense. Is it not true that sometimes God has to inconvenience your plan in order to reveal his? Now, we don't know what the cupbearer and the baker did, but whatever it was, the scriptures say it offended Pharaoh. And God uses this moment to get them into the presence of a Hebrew man named Joseph. Could you stop for a moment today and ask yourself this question? How many times has God used a momentary offense to push you into a position where you can finally hear his voice? 
Why? Because offense reveals our heart. Offense reveals points of our pain in our identity. Offense reveals areas of insecurity in our lives. And Christ Jesus, the one who Paul calls a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, is not above using things that seem offensive to get you into a place where you can hear his voice. About three weeks ago, I got a call from our water company that services our house. And they said, is this Mr. Johnson? I said, yes, it is. They said, we wanted to call to notify you about an unusually large water bill that's coming your direction. We believe that there may be a leak in the house. I said, well, unusually large to you may not be unusually large to me. My normal water bill is 300. What are we looking at? 400? She said, no. I said, well, well, what? Like 500 worst case scenario? She said, no. I said, 600? No. 700? No. 800? No. I felt like I was on the world's worst version of Price is Right. 900, no, 1,000, no, 1,100, no, 1,200, no, 1,300, yes. I got that call at the office, ran home as fast as I could. I'm gonna check every sink, every faucet, every spigot, every toilet. I'm gonna find out where my money is leaking out. <laughs> we checked everything and then double checked it. For the life of me, I couldn't find one thing that was running. Called the plumbers, paid them to do a full walkthrough of the house. They said, sir, we don't know what to tell you. There ain't nothing leaking on your property. I thought to myself, somebody is sneaking out my property in the middle of the night. They are filling up an Olympic-sized pool and taking it home. That's the only way to describe it. And then about a week later, I was sitting in my office and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. I've got a bathroom in my garage that I forgot about because we don't ever use it. So I ran home as fast as I could, opened the door to that bathroom and discovered the toilet that was leaking. It wasn't just no ordinary leak. It was a leak so bad that the closer you got to the toilet, the more flexible the floor became pulled the toilet, found out the entire subfloor was rotted out. This was a Mondo-sized leak that would result in a remodel of that entire bathroom. And I'm thinking about that in the context of God using momentary things that offend us to cause us to discover unforeseen issues, traumas, leaks, points of pain that are hiding right beneath the surface. See, the temptation of life is to pull the proverbial covers over your eyes, pretend the problem doesn't exist, and then pass that bill off to the next generation, which by the time they inherit it, has exponentially grown from where it first was. But God in his goodness interrupts our narratives with temporary inconveniences in order for us to do the deep soul work that our Christian development requires. Because believe it or not, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, there is still room for your heart to grow. 
The news wasn't pleasant, but it was a necessary offense that helped me see what I had been missing. See, friend, we live in an upside down world where people strain at a gnat, but they swallow a camel. And through the construct of weaponized offense have become perpetually oppressed people just looking for ways to get hurt. Come on, pastor, you didn't use my pronouns. You didn't wear a mask. You didn't call me on my birthday. You didn't attend my bar mitzvah. You forgot that I was allergic to dairy. Why isn't the communion crackers gluten-free? At my last church, the pastor would have never done a billboard like this. Just wait. I was on the UW campus Thursday night to observe a student-led rally where they were honoring Hamas terrorists and calling for the destruction of Israel. The exact same group of students who would need a therapist, a binky, and a safe space to process their trauma if someone dared to misgender them are openly calling for the genocide of an entire ethnic group. But watch. Their offense is my invitation because offense is like showing your hand in a game of poker. Now that I can see the cards that you are playing with, I can address the root issue that is causing your trauma. It's a foul spirit and I know exactly what to do with that. And just so you know, by the way, My prayer for every member of Hamas is that they would radically encounter Jesus, just like Masab Hassan Yusuf, the son of the founder of Hamas, who today is a born again Christian. In fact, I reached out to Masab this week and have invited him to come preach at Pursuit. And in doing so, give a big black eye to the enemy of our souls. Watch verse five. After they'd been in custody for some time, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, they each had a dream one night and each dream had its own meaning. Now the Bible doesn't record that the butler or the cupbearer ever had a dream before or ever had a dream after. But all of a sudden they get in the presence of one who does and dreams break out in their life. You need to know today, friend, that by virtue of your followership of Jesus, there are things that you carry in your spirit that become contagious when you get into the right realm and sphere of influence. Without you even saying anything, your spirit will introduce you before you ever arrive because the deep things of your life cry out to the deep things of somebody else's life. You walk in the room and all of a sudden hope springs eternal. You walk in the room and joy breaks out. You get around them and encouragement starts to flow. You show up in an environment and people start to have dreams and ideas and vision and entrepreneurial goals, not because you said anything but just because of who you are. See, Joseph was a redemptive seed planted in the soil of Egypt. And when he began to flourish, so did those who were around him. 
But see, when Joseph saw him the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. He said, why do you look so sad today? One translation says, why do you look so dejected today? And they replied, Joe, we both had dreams last night, but no one can interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I'm so shook by this because 12 years ago, when Joseph dared to step outside the box of his comfort and share his dreams, it resulted in the world's most unfortunate turn of events. But although Joseph had been mistreated by man, he had always been held close by God. And it protected his capacity to be envisioned for a bright hope and a better future, even in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. And you ought to understand today that the express purpose of your pain would be for the enemy to try to hijack it and use it for your heart to grow callous and your spirit to grow cold. But there was something planted so deep in the heart heart of Joseph that no matter what he walked through or how many times that he had been mistreated he still held sacred that relationship he had with Yahweh meaning I can never allow the sin of people against me to create sin inside of me I know the last time I shared my dream I got beat up shot up torn down killed roasted canceled but I still serve the God who interpretations belong to. So tell me your dream. Now the cup baker, the cupbearer and the baker would have had positions of prominence in the Egyptian kingdom prior to being thrown in prison. And if you'll remember, Pharaoh's court was often filled with magicians, sorcerers, and mediums who were used to help Pharaoh see the future and interpret the spirit world. Which means this, the cupbearer and the baker had grown accustomed to being around people who through demonic interference could see into the future. Now hear me today, because this is important for your theological framing. It's not that the demonic doesn't have power. It's that the demonic is an inferior power whose chief goal is the destruction of your life. And let me show you today one of the primary differences between God's power and Satan's. God's power has the ability to transcend prison walls. God's power has the ability to work in the dungeons of Egypt. God's power has the ability to impart hope into dark places. Not true with Satan's. Satan's power is localized. God's power is globalized. Satan's power is time limited. God's power is eternal. Satan's power is fading from the earth while the glory of God is filling the earth. You are on the winning side of eternity because there ain't no power like the power that comes from him. Now hear me today. God speaks in the language of dreams and visions. 
But if you try and interpret God's dream apart from Christ's lordship, you'll reach the wrong conclusions every day of the week. See, our region is filled with people who have dreams in their heart, but haven't yet met the God who can interpret them. And our job is to introduce them. A dream divorced from the dream giver is a nightmare. But the church holds the keys to help unlock the future. <laughs> now, it's interesting to me, that word interpret, it's used nine times in the Old Testament. Every single time it's used, it's used to describe Joseph's ability to discern that which God is saying. See, interpret in the Hebrew is the word pathar. It means to open up or to solve. Joseph has the gift of opening up. He has the gift of interpreting. He has the gift of discerning and understanding both the times in which he is in and the avenues by which God is speaking. In August of 2001, my parents took me and my two brothers on a trip to New York to see the sights. I'll, I'll never forget it. I had heard that New York was so prosperous, they sold Rolexes on the street for $25. I saved my money. I bought a Rolex and I proudly wore it around town. Until one day I looked down and inspected it a little further and saw the watch face, it was a little off. It didn't say Rolex, it said relax. It is not what you think. On the way home, the hour hand fell off. The minute hand was floating around the case. <laughs> and I realized something in that moment. It don't matter how expensive your watch is or how expensive it looks. If it don't have the ability to tell time, it's worthless. You need to know, it don't matter how fancy the psychics, the witches, and the warlocks of this region present themselves as. They can't tell time, because time belongs to the author of time itself, the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every other God is an idol who cannot see and cannot hear, but we serve the one true living God and his name is Jesus. Uh, our world loves to dress up the counterfeit in pomp and circumstance. It's like fool's gold. It looks valuable on the outside, but it operates from a deficit on the inside. And I'm here to tell you today, it'd be a good time to reject every inferior principality and power from your old life that you've kept around as symbols of good luck, as things that you consort with when times are bad, as relationships that you go back to when the journey gets difficult. I would just make today the last day that you consort with darkness about your destiny and the first day that you begin to trust the maker of heaven and earth who holds time in memorial in his hand for when that God says it's time, it's time, and ain't no devil in hell can stop what God intends.
Let me end here. Verse nine. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. Watch. On that vine was three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed. Its clusters ripened into grapes. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore to you your position. But it wasn't just the cupbearer who had a dream, it was the baker. And when the baker overheard the positive interpretation to this man's dream, he said, I'm next in the prophetic line at the altar. Do me next, Joseph, I need a word. He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. This is what it means, Joseph said. Those three baskets are three days. Here it goes. My promotion is coming. I've hit the jackpot lotto. We're getting out of this hellhole. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head, impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now hold up. Because I heard the word you just gave, and this sounds like the polar opposite of the word that you just gave. You might need to go back and ask your God if he might have misinterpreted that dream, because I'm not sure I received that for my life. Here's the good news. When interpretation belongs to the Lord, regardless of the feedback from people, you can lay your head on your pillow at night and sleep secure knowing you said what God has said and not one of his words will fall flat. <laughs> and see, God did just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. So to the pursuit Northwest, I say, God will lift up your head. To the enemies of darkness, I say, God will lift off your head. And to this region, I say, what has been held back in bondage will break forth in joy, for it is our time to dream the dream of God once again. Let me in here. Joseph finds himself in prison with two high-level Egyptian officials. The cupbearer who is in charge of the wine and the baker who is in charge of the bread. Watch. I can't help but think this is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. To those who find themselves in prison today, Christ grants us the wine of his blood and the broken bread of his body, and in doing so, restores the years that the enemy has stolen from your life. Prison isn't your portion. It's a temporary developmental pit stop on the road to God's dream.
dream being birthed through your life? Are you facing family conflict today? Are you facing emotional trauma today? Are you facing a speed bump in your marriage today? Are you dealing with rejection and betrayal today? The God of Scripture is the only one who's got the power to turn your prison cell into a launching pad. Get ready. Your breakthrough is coming. And maybe you're here today and you're like me. So appreciative of what God has done in your life, but waiting on some dreams that still work in the chambers of your heart. Standing in that place of faith. Eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. Trusting that the one who began is the one who will complete. For my best days are not behind me, they are ahead of me. And whatever God so sees fit in the sovereign ordering of my life, may we submit to whatever developmental process we are in that where God takes us, we would have the integrity and the stamina to stand. May a God-sized dream be birthed or rebirthed in your heart today. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?